0: Welcome to Legal Trailblazers, where we talk about black lawyers and their role in the ushering in of the constitutional democracy that South Africa enjoys today. This is the life story of Mr. Godfrey P J, the doyen of black lawyers. He's the former president of the ANC Youth League and was succeeded in his position by Nelson Mandela in 1952. This was after his appointment as a principal at the Jane Fest Combined School. However, his open opposition to Bantu education, the inferior education system designed to further subjugate black people in South Africa, led him to leave the teaching profession to become a lawyer. In this episode, Judge Museneke tells us about Mr. Godfrey Mohonane-Bijay, a teacher, an activist lawyer, and Africanist intellectual. I'm very honored to meet with you. I am Tuto Hadebe. I am interviewing today the former Deputy Chief Justice of South Africa, Judge Dehang Moseneke. Thank you, Judge, for availing yourself.
1: Tate Piche, as you know, was born and I call him Tate because it's my father's age. He's not my contemporary. He's my father's contemporary. Yes, He was born in 1917 in Pokwani, in Limpopo. And he really had a rural background, as you would have seen from what I've written about him already. And he was a very determined young person. Think about him living in the 1930s, when he was in his twenties, and started as a young teacher, and I wouldn't have met him then. I was born much, much later than him, but I met that teacher when he was already an attorney. Remember, he was a teacher, a young teacher, and he became principal of a school. He taught. In in many places, including, yes, the rest, he taught in Soweto, but ultimately decided to do articles. And when he did articles, he did these at Tambo and Mandela attorneys, who, as you know, and I wrote about this in my book, My Own Liberator, were one of the first African law firms in Johannesburg. Yes and they practiced law, as you would know, at Chancellor House, which was on Commissioner Street. And Mr. Pichet came to do articles at Chancellor House. Again, I wasn't there. It's research and history that I came to know and to write about in order to do what you are doing to preserve the history of our people, and African people in particular. And I went to high school and in 1960, and I became a member of the Youth League of the Pan-Africanist Congress of Azania, And I was arrested in 1963. And I was 15 years of age then. And I was a student at Hofmeyer High School in Swanee, here in Pretoria. And 16 of us were charged for sabotage and terrorism and our parents needed an attorney. And who did they approach? Attorney Godfrey Mohonana Piché, who was the person who would be the natural professional to go to by my father, mother, and other mothers and fathers. At our first appearance in court, after being detained in solitary confinement for 90 days, There was an attorney called Free And he stood up to say, May it please the court your worship appear on behalf of the accused. That's when I saw him and met him for the first time. I was answering your original question, when did you meet him for the first time? Yes. I was an accused and he was an attorney. Was he practicing
0: uh, on his own at the time?
1: At the time he had left... Mandela and Tambo. Oliver Tambo was in exile at the time in 1963, and Nelson Mandela was in prison on Robben Island. So a lot of things had happened in the struggle up to that point, and as I say, I was arrested with other members of the Pan Africanist Congress of Azania, and there were other accused who were arrested for membership and activities of the African National Congress. And ultimately, we were all convicted and went to Robben Island. But the answer to the question is yes, I met him as my attorney,
0: and I was an accused. We know he was a president of the ANC Youth League. Not much is recorded about his... uh, political activities, did he continue to be a member of the, of the African National Congress?
1: Well, Ndadi was an Africanist and he was part of... Was he an Africanist? Yes. Because you, you, you an are Africanist. an Africanist yourself. I am an Africanist, yes. I was in my childhood, I am now, of course. So Dada was an Africanist. He, if you look what I write about him, his comrades within the African National Congress and the Youth League in particular, were A.P. Mda, were essentially Robert Mangaliso Sobukwe. And they were that part of the, African, of the Youth League which was Africanist, and which Anton Limbede, and which ultimately broke away to form the Pan-Africanist Congress. And it wasn't surprising that when we got out of the sales and we're members of the PAC, he would be there as an attorney to represent us. And I don't mean he represented PAC members only. Just like when I became a lawyer, I represented members of Mkonto Wessizwe, I represented members of Azanla, and I represented members of Apla and of of other formations within the country and unions. So he wasn't there because he was an Africanist. That might be one of the reasons, but certainly he did not continue as an active member of the Youth League.
0: Yes. Whilst you were in in prison at the Robben Island, did he maintain that role of being an attorney? to those who were still at the island. Uh, yes, did. he, he did. visit you there?
1: Yes, he continued to provide, you know, services. There were some people who filed appeals, for instance, against their sentences, and there are people who needed additional legal services. And the Piche, Godfrey Piche was there, available, providing that continuous service. At a time, I must add when it was extremely dangerous to act for so-called terrorists, for so-called mutineers, and people who wanted to overthrow the state by violent means. So it was always a dangerous exercise.
0: Personally, from your side, when you were released from Roman Island, you you had studied law whilst you were still there.
1: Yeah, well, I did a BA, I did a B Juris, and I did an LLB. So I did three degrees.
0: Then you wanted to be a, uh, an attorney before you became an advocate. Then yes. to be an attorney, you need to do your articles of clerkship. Yes. Under whom did you do those, the articles of clerkship? Yeah.
1: Well, you're into to something which I've covered fully in my book. Yes. Now you had an interview on that? I have <laughs> written about this quite fully.
0: This is where I'm going to the role that he played in 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 assisting you to, to be, admitted. Yes, indeed. be admitted as an attorney, because you need to undergo this process, and then you need to uh, submit these sure. papers, because you need to bring an application. Uh, to the High yeah. Court of South did, Africa. Yes. How did he assist did you there? Yeah.
1: I see. I looked for articles for over a year in Pretoria, and I write about the racism that prevailed at the time, particularly if you had been to Robben Island and you are an ex-prisoner. It was almost impossible to get articles. Ultimately, I got articles. served two years because I had an LLB. At the time of finishing of articles, the Law Society gave notice that they are going to oppose my admission on two grounds. The one ground was that I was no longer a citizen of the Republic of South Africa, they said, because I was Motswana and Buputatswana had become independent and claimed that by that act I had lost my citizenship, and they also claimed that in any event, I have a conviction. And the conviction will stand in the way of, of my articles. And again, there's a reported case, Ex parte Museneke versus the Law Society of the Transvaal, and it records the battle that we had. <coughs> but more importantly, the Black Lawyers Association rallied around me under the leadership of Pice. They protested, they made it known to the law society that they reject their objection on both counts. It was not for the law society to say somebody has lost citizenship. That's a political conclusion that all people who are Tswana or who are Tosa or who are whatever those homelands were, had lost their South African citizenship And the BLA was quite strong. And in fact, this issue helped to rally the BLA and make it even stronger. There were other issues, but this issue was one of those that helped to crystallize it and to actually have it formed formally as a Black Lawyers Association in 1976, 1977, and I was admitted just about the end of 77 or early 1978. So this was one of the issues that was on the agenda of BLA, and the DPJ was in the forefront of that charge. To, and were, I mean, the BLA was opposed to Group Areas Act, for instance. It was opposed to racism around articles of clerkship. It was opposed to treatment of black lawyers in courts. In Remember those days, there were two entrances to a court. Yes. If you're black, you're supposed to use the back entrance. And the DPJs, we know in the article I wrote, played a big role in resisting that.
0: Yes, I recall that uh, case, uh, R versus BJ, where he was charged. Yes, indeed. Can you tell us about mm. that? What was happening? Yes, I so want to do
1: that. Is, I certainly would like to do that. You see, the DPJs sells articles at Tambo and Mandela. Ultimately, he becomes an attorney himself on his own. He goes to court, and he's told he must sit on a desk and chair, different and separate from that where white attorneys sit. And he says, no, I'll not do that. And he goes to sit where he thinks legal practitioners ought to sit. And the magistrate orders him, well, the interpreter says, You're sitting at the wrong place, daddy. Only white people sit there, and the preacher says, no, 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 I sit. I'm an attorney, and I've come to court. I'll sit where attorneys sit. Yes. He has an exchange with the magistrate, and he gets charged. And somebody fined. And he refused to pay the fine, which is an echo from the defiance campaign. Remember, no bail, no fine, no defense. Yes. Which has the same position which was taken by the PAC in 1960 with the past campaigns. No bail, no fine, no defense. So that the pitcher would not pay the fine went in there, somebody paid the fine behind his back and he was released. He appealed the case right up to the appellate division as it was then and lost it. The courts affirmed that Racism was all in order, even
0: within a courtroom. A very unfortunate decision. Didn't that affect, I mean, that decision in the Appellate Division affect uh, him in his practice or the Law Society? Didn't it come to say, you have this adverse finding against you, contempt of court, and you are an officer of yeah. the court?
1: Well, they, ne- they never went that far. They never went that far to try and strike him off the roll. There was already a precedent, Nelson Mandela versus the Transvaal Law Society, where after his conviction with the defiance campaign, he was argued that he can't be an attorney. And the courts held that it, he could be an attorney. His conviction was on the grounds of his political convictions, not on the grounds of fraudulence, or insincerity or duplicity. He had different views from the prevailing views in society. And if you go and read the judgment where I was admitted, you'll see that there was one of the precedents that were used. And it is reported in 1979 volume 4. So they did not go to Dadeb Ichi
0: and try and strike him off the roll for that conviction. If I were to veer off a bit, Judge, we have just said uh, Mr. Picher was an Africanist. What's the difference between an adherent of Africanism and of black consciousness? And how do they complement each other?
1: Yeah, they complement each other. There you are. That was the question, the right question. You see... Black consciousness is an offshoot from Africanist thinking. Its focus like Africanism is on the agency of black people or if you like African people to liberate themselves. To so the starting point of black consciousness and of pan-Africanism is that you are your own liberator. You must have heard of a book like that, haven't you? It is the assertion by Steve Biko famously that black men, you are on your own. So the fundamental tenet of Pan-Africanism, for instance, was that, was to rally and unite African people in order to overthrow white domination. So that is a fundamental platform of, of the whole movement. And at the time... Charterism was, petitions was a whole range of other methods and did not define the struggle in a complete way that identifies it as a total struggle of overthrow of domination and defining it as white domination against black people, against African people who were the majority. So the two starting points. If you're going to listen to Manga Sobukwe, or you're going to listen to Steve Biko, the fundamental starting point is black people, African people have to rise and liberate themselves. And usually the addition would be in our lifetime. And that's a very important addition because we had started in 1910 and we're slowly making petitions and submissions. And and then suddenly we came to a point where some leaders introduced agency in the need for African people to liberate themselves. and And therefore you would not seek to look at other people to help liberate yourself. You would do it yourself. And that is why it became freedom in our lifetime. It is a very important fundamental platform. And, and, and you wouldn't look to others. In other words, you wouldn't outsource your responsibility to fight for freedom. You would seek it, you seek to achieve it. And that is where they coincide. So they rely, it is not, it's misunderstood. It's not an anti-white stance. It is a pro-black, it's a pro-African stance. We have to get out there and do it and do it the right way. And it remains true to this day. Messed up as our freedom struggle is presently, but the obligation remains ours to actually liberate African people, black people, wholly and fully.
0: Yes, that's true.
1: Well, you got a free lecture on... Per- no, I have, indeed. you got a free lecture on Pan africanism <laughs> tutor for
0: now. <laughs> no, I have. I had to, I had to sneak that in. <laughs> I'm sorry that I hijacked, I hijacked you there. I couldn't uh, uh, resist the temptation.
1: No, but it's fine. It's historical fact. It's something I've written about. It's that is my, my history and background. And this, it's my understanding of our world, which sadly has remained unchanged by and large. But let's
0: move on we move into the picture. you are asking what the man that you worked with after you got released from robin island you became an attorney i'm sure that you interacted with him in the structures of the black lawyers associations and in other structures
1: yes indeed one he was an activist lawyer as i said to you he was My father's age and our father's age had a son who was my friend who became an advocate. That's why we always called him father and leader. He was a president of the Black Lives Association. He fully embraced the notion that law is a tool for social and economic justice. Law is not a set of cold rules, it is designed, it's human designed in order to achieve social and public good, which comes in the form of opportunities of equality or protection of human dignity and other fundamental rights. So law is basically an agent, it's a tool to be able to achieve certain things. And he lived that kind of life he grew the Black Laws Association. He was his first leader, and look at the irony. Then I came to serve with him on the executive. Yes. When I started as a young man, arrested him being my lawyer. Now he was my leader, For and cycle. I served on the. I sat side by side with him on the national executive. At the BLA, we decided to have a project called the Legal Education Center. And one of the primary things was to find articles for young black lawyers. We did not want them to experience what we experienced. So every black lawyer took the obligation to give a, a young black person articles. So young women and men, for instance, at the law firm where I was, and there were others. Kunene Mushidi and Makume, and there were Ngwepe and Kadimeng, and it became a time when young lawyers, younger than Peter, were inspired to form partnerships. And this partnership became home for the training of young lawyers. Each one of us, for instance, in our law firm, had three article clerks, which was a maximum. And the whole idea was to create an infrastructure of young activist black lawyers. So BLA became an activist, anti-colonialism, anti-apartheid body that understood that it had a role to relieve the oppression of our people, but also an activist body, ultimately to overthrow apartheid. And as you know, the BLA went on to establish Legal Education Center And J.D.P.J. became the first director of the Legal Education, Paraculation Legal Education Center. And he left his practice, a lucrative practice, in order to go and serve the public at large. Something he did for many years. And became president for as long as he lived. There was a quality of the man and the quality of the leadership and dedication to what we were about. Ultimately, it was about the struggle for freedom, uh, and the law had to be purposed and repurposed to help us achieve
0: those objectives. And, of course, he died in, was it 1995? Yes, nineteen ninety seven,
1: nineteen
0: ninety. Yeah, just after democratic rule. Did he... D- play a role in the structures uh, of uh, preceding or during the Cordesca negotiations?
1: Actually, he did not, no. I mean, he had views about that, but he did not. And he was quite elderly at the time, you, you imagine. But, but he did not play an active role. I have no doubt that his worldview was an Africanist worldview. It was a black consciousness worldview, and, um, but did not play any active role
0: in the transition and the establishment of the government, of a new government. Didn't he feel uh, isolated or alienated by the dominant political forces of the time immediately before his death?
1: He might have been. Um, a number of things said to him. Of course, his son died very abruptly, in very difficult circumstances he was murdered and that took quite a lot of energy out of him, I must say but in in casual discussions there's no doubt that uh, he understood that the historical dice had fallen in a particular way and that the deal that the ANC was going to construct would have been one that would give them political power together with the Nationalist Party. And historically, that's what happened. You've been listening to another production from Solid
0: Gold Podcasts.